is a world-renowned historian with expertise in Haitian and Pan-African history. Professor Bayuna Bello is also a professor of history at the State University of Haiti, well known for her humanitarian work and earlier work of 15 years living and traveling in West Africa. Now based in Port-au-Prince, she is founder of the Organization for Historical Research called Foundation Marie-Claire Ererus Felicité, popularly known as Fondation Felicité, named after the Empress Consort of Haiti and wife of revolutionary leader of Haiti, Jean-Jacques Dessolet. In the aftermath of the 2010 Haiti earthquake, the non-profit organization Friends of Foundation Felicité was set up to directly support and focus on rebuilding the country. of the ancestors from whom we draw our inspiration, guidance, and strength, namely Isis, Oshun, Ogu, Ezuli, Nzinga, Toya, Nat Turner, Desaline, we greet you in Aishan traditional terms, One, Vespe, in the name of resisting people of Haiti and the world. We greet you in the battle cry of the many, liberty or death. We thank African Echoes for inviting us to speak this evening. And as we discovered our theme is fulfilling Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King prophecy, we thank you for being here. Unlike what Brother Inuni, I understand what he feels, but I really don't care about those who are not here. The important thing is you are here. So let me invite you to come a little closer. So what comes out of me may be more what you need to know, what you need to hear. I thank you for the honor of allowing me to speak for you, what you want to know from yourself. Because ultimately, that is all that matter doesn't make any difference how many people stand up and clap for you. It makes no difference how many television program or radio program that you go on, what kind of a big star or big whatever you are. Because what is important is are you yourself and are you doing what your mission is? I have a dream. That one day, this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And my people, the people that I'm here representing today, the so-called Negroes, and that's all. Those of you who are white, you have many white leaders who can speak for you. You have many whites in power who have the billions and trillions of dollars to help you. But black people also need a spokesman. 
want to know how does a sister from IET going to talk about fulfilling Martin Luther King's dream? Which dream was this? Little white children and little black children, hands in hands? Do you think this may be the dream that I'm going to talk about this evening? No. That dream is not in me. And I don't know of anybody who has this dream. And what is the dream? Well, it is a dream that is not often mentioned. But maybe it was just a mistake, but one day he said that he believed that one day a very small country somewhere insignificant would rise up and crush the United States of America. That is the dream I have in common with King. I come from a very small, insignificant country, trotted down, baffled by every so-called nation friend, sister nation, brother country, whatever it is they call themselves, baffled by so-called international community, baffled finally through education, oh excuse me, through miseducation, through conditioning, baffled by ourselves, fooled and trampled by ourselves, because we have been trained to do this. What is this country? We must know what is the purpose. A nation is what? A nation is a group of families that come together. They have past experience together, common past experience, and they establish a common objective. When you have past experience, which give you culture together, and you establish an objective to work towards, then you become a nation. And if we go back to the time where they were creating this country, Haiti, and please call it by its name, Haiti, not anything that you hear other people calling it. Thank you. This is a land that the founders sat down and decided would be the refuge for all black people throughout the world. It's not whatever little group is living on it. It's not the possession, the propriety of the little group that is there now. But their vision was, we're gonna create this space here as a place where any black person running from any kind of oppressing havoc, oppressing chaos, they can come here and instantly any black person who set foot on this land becomes automatically free and a citizen. They went further. They said anyone freeing slavery who comes to Haiti will be free. But if you're black, you are free and a citizen. Now that is the mission of this country. So Haiti does not mean this small geographical space there. 
It means everywhere black people can create a space that is a refuge for other black, then that person is an IET. that has its original name. Even though the criminals coming from Europe arriving on the island of Haiti, that's the name of the entire island. That's what the Arawak people called it. And this for thousands of years before the criminals arrived from Europe. And when they arrived, they find the people there. It is estimated there were between two and 3.5 million Arawaks on the island in 1492. 11 years later, it was estimated less than 100,000 people were living on this island. A little before this estimate, as they noticed that the people were just dropping off like flies, the Europeans went to Jamaica, collected a portion of the population there brought them to Haiti to dig for gold for them. And that population disappeared too. They went to Puerto Rico and brought boatloads of Arawak and Tainos and Caribs. And that population disappeared too in Haiti. And then, and only then, did the white man, we are told, the good father Las Casas, being so kind, he felt now that they're practically all dead, we shouldn't kill them all off completely. Obviously, they're not strong enough for this labor we want them to do. We should go to Africa and get some big, strong black folks. Bring them here to do this job, to work for us for nothing. This was a very pure father, Las Casas. A very humanitarian man who owned big plantations in Cuba and in Puerto Rico. And in the name of Jesus, he sent for boatloads of our brothers and sisters in Africa to travel the entire ocean, all these many miles, to come here and work so somebody else will get rich. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the bees. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the yes. sound of the bees.
disintegrate, or USSR, but there was a lot of propping, so a lot of us didn't even understand what really went down. And since it was like family affairs, things were arranged in such a way that you and I couldn't really see what, what happened. And then you know how it goes in the family. Even if I fight with you, we battle, I crush you down, then I help you get up too, when we go in front of other people. So. It's very difficult for people to really know what went down inside the room. But that's nothing. They think they did the big crushing for this period, but that's nothing. The best is yet to come. We, as a people, have to work seriously. The first war has to be the war on self. You and me and him and she and her and him need to know 
The white man is living inside of you. He is in your mind. With every book you studied in school, he snuffed inside the tiniest little crawl, this little fit in your head. And I don't know, maybe he has even entered our soul. We need to investigate. But we have a mission. The first mission, before you and I can get together, you need to get together with yourself, armed as you can get, with the best weapon, the highest, most up to the point technology weapon, and go out and get this white man out of your brain. And I have got to do the same thing before you and I can get together. We don't need to lament about those who are not here. Those who are not here are not ready to be here. Those who are not here could be troubled by what we have to say today. We don't know what it is, but whatever it is, we know that it is for those who are here. And the important thing is concentrate, you who are present, concentrate on grasping the essence on what will be given to you so you can go out and have that first battle which each one of us must have in order for us to come together. We must go out and face ourselves. Look in the mirror. Tell yourself the truth. Don't tell yourself no lies. Without the truth, we're not going anywhere. Yes, Haiti's mission is to create a land a space where all black people who are in trouble anywhere in the world can come in and find refuge. So when you understand that, you also understand why any nation with this kind of mission in this white supremacy world that we're living in will be, must be, continuously under attack from every corner. That's normal, that's natural. And it is insane if you are an Asian to make believe or to tell yourself that you're gonna go to your country and build a nice home and enjoy the sea on Sunday and you know, have a little fun, relax. I'm sorry, you should find another place where you should go do this. You cannot come and do this here. Cause this here place, is the center of the biggest war happening in this world. Because it does not have any one enemy. It has white supremacy as an enemy. And they are not asleep. They know, even if they kiss up with you, even if they sleep with you, they have identified you as their enemy and they're gonna go after you. If they're kissing up on you, it means that you are in a position where they don't feel they can attack you openly now. If they're feeding you, you should know there's a lot of possibility that this food is poison. If you're drinking from them, you should know that there are great possibilities that there is something in this drink for you. But more than this, if we take a little look, at the constitution of this country, the first constitution, the only valid constitution, constitution of 1805, 
states clearly, this land is the land for all black folks. States clearly, any black person landing here becomes automatically free and a citizen. States clearly, no white man has the right to buy property here or walk as master on this land. It's clearly, and this law, and now when you learn that IET is actually on its, I think we are at 30, a constitution 38 or 39, I don't know how many constitutions we have since the constitution of 1805. If you understand, and of course in most books, you will not find a copy of the Constitution of 1805. They will begin with the Constitution of 1807. Even though they will have the Constitution of 1801, which is before IT's independence. But most people can never find a copy of 1805. But if you understand the mission of this country, then you also understand why this Constitution cannot be this readily available. With every constitution, they removed the mission of the country little by little. And the very last thing to fall out was the article on white man cannot buy land or walk as master on this land. And it was removed in 1915 during US occupation. And the Marines encircled the Parliament at that time when they wanted to have this, this law removed from the books. They had already been manipulating all several weeks already. Several new laws came in, removing this one, removing that one. But when they got to this law about white men, even this Parliament, which agreed with almost anything the U.S. asked, the U.S. asked to turn left, Everybody turn left. Turn right, everybody turn right. But when they said we must remove this article, every parliamentary person said, not me. I don't want to be involved with this. I'm not here. So the U.S. Marines encircled the Parliament House, arrested all the Parliament folks, wrote the new decree to remove this law from the books, and passed it. Democratically. Democratically, thank you. People will tell you many things, and truly are books on top of books. You will read as to why the economic reasons why they had to occupy it. Oh, no, no. The trouble, so much coup d'etats and too many killings of officials and too much trouble in the country. That's why the U.S. had to occupy IET. But here's what the U.S. did. When they came in the first time, they occupied IET. IET was the only country at that time who did not have their money backed by the dollar. Our money was backed by gold. Our entire reserve, gold reserve, was taken away for safekeeping, we were told, and brought to Fort Knox. It has yet to return home. This was 1915. When somebody asked you, why is there so much poverty? When some white person said, oh, I want to go help the poor people in IT, so I'm going to bring a little bread and a little water for them. Ask them, why don't you just ask your government to give them back their gold? Right. So, we're looking at a country that has set a model for black countries. 
the only country who had a constitution which was in accord with what the purpose of the people. We cannot have black people enslaved or colonized. And then when we're free, we say, oh, our colonizers are our best friends. They teach us the laws we should have in the books. We're going to take their books to have the schools. We're going to teach their doctors to come and build our hospitals. Why the hell then don't want to just stay in slavery or stay in colonization? We have an example, Nigeria. strong, powerful land, variety in climate, Nigeria has everything to win as a black country. When Nigeria was becoming and they really, the crackers really didn't want to give Nigeria up. They did not because Nigeria was too much wealth, too much of everything and it had it and a very dynamic personality, the people of Nigeria. Well, when you read the Constitution of Nigeria, you can hardly tell this is a black nation. <laughs> but furthermore, the accompanying agreements. Nigerians agreed to live in the hands of England. The educational system, the justice system, the finance system, and the resources. So here we are, we are independent. Here's how it went in Nigeria. We are independent, hooray, independence, wonderful. But England will determine what you do as far as education is concerned, will determine how money is spent and for what, will determine how resources are used and will determine justice for the next 15 to 20 years. Is that independence? No. All right. So, tell me, here we are. I'm a slave master. You're my slaves. I spent a hundred years beating up on you, your grandmama, your great-grandmama, mm. making you work for nothing for me. Centuries after centuries. And then one day independence must come. I said, okay, fine, let's have independence. Let's sit down and talk about it. Here's how your independence gonna go, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you. Independence is signed, we all happy, we shake hands. How sweet. All the land that I took from your family remains my land, of course. And now you out in the street begging. You know what I'm gonna say? Look at this bum, what is wrong with him? These black folks can't do nothing for themselves. Here we am begging, begging, always begging. And we are so stupid, we won't even say, yeah, I'm begging because you stole my land. I'm begging because you killed my mother. I'm begging because you slaughtered my grandmother. I'm begging because you raped my sisters. 
That's why I'm begging. Hi family, I'm Shola Lerade, artist and painter. Please support our GoFundMe, which is a collaboration between Decolonizing the Archive and University of Africa to create a bioliteral conversation between young people in Africa and here in Britain around archives and history. We need your support to make this a reality. So go to Black Arts Movement and return to Ghana Theatre Archive and give what you can. You're listening to DTA Live Radio. Please follow us on decolonizingthearchive.com. Your mama swept by the roadside, selling mangoes to send you to school, to send you to the best schools, like my mother. My mother was living in a one room, saving every penny she made to send me to a school called Collège International in Montpellier. After I finished secondary school, I had no idea. Hey, my mama said she's sending me to school. I went to school. But when I got to the school, you know what they taught in that school? They teach you how to drink whiskey, how to drink vodka, how to ride horses, how to play um, card games. And see, this is a school, because she didn't know. To her, it was a great school because it was in France, and in France, everything you learn is good for you. This is a school that children of barons and queens and whatever, who don't have any brains, who don't have anything to do. All they have to do is go and learn how to walk fancy, speak fancy, and drink up a storm without ever looking drunk. It's sad, but it's true. I spent a year, and there was no way I could explain to my mother, this here, where you sent me, I don't belong here. Anyway, to make a long story short, I went, did my year, the end of the year I have a diploma. Hey, I know how to drink vodka real good. I know how to dress up. I was forced to press my hair. I think it was three times a week I was supposed to press my hair because I was never supposed to have a kink anywhere. I must not be myself, you know? My hair was always to be pulled in a silky, slinky little whatever it was. Okay, I did it all until the last day when the notes were all posted, I wash my hair with a lot of pleasure and I blow it all out, something like tonight, probably it was much bigger because it was longer then. And I put an African outfit. Without lying, one of my teachers went to the hospital with an infarctus. <laughs> and the man kept saying on the hospital bed, it's impossible. She was my best teacher. I invested so much in her. She can't revert like this. They worked hard to turn me into a white woman. It just didn't take. I was bad earth. Bad soil. But I'm only telling you this, because many of you are going to school. If you're not, you have a child that you're sending to school. You have a niece, you have a cousin, 
is going to school. A book written by a colonizer, a racist pig. Do you think that this can help your child grow? Am I saying you should not go to school? No. What is the difference between medicine and poison? A matter of degree, thank you, brother. It's the same thing, there is no difference. Every medicine is poison. It will kill you if that's what the doctor tells you, take one teaspoon every five hours or every eight hours. If you decide, hey, this pain is too much, let me take five teaspoons, what will happen to you? Every medicine is poison. When you go to school, you have to think in terms, this is the poison you've got to have. But you have to measure how much of it, when you should take it, and sometimes maybe you just may have to say, hey, forget it. But that's a fact you need to know. Every time you sit in front of the television, somebody's working on you. Someone is working to change you from a black person who knows who they are and want to be themselves to something that wants to be anything other than what it is. When you take the New York Times to read, you think you're getting information? You are reading approved truth. Truth approved for general consumption. That's what you're getting. Has nothing to do with truth. Has nothing to do with reality. We have right now the island of Montserrat, which is one third covered by the ashes of a volcano. Is there a big boohoo in all the television programs, all the television stations, right? No. It's a bunch of black folks. Who cares? And funny thing is, this week we have uh, Italy. A little earth earthquake shook and killed four people. There isn't one station who didn't give it. Not one. In IT, people are dying every day. All kinds of reasons. All kinds of situations. But that's not the problem. When the big, gory, bloody stuff arrives, that's when it's interesting. In seconds, we have thousands of journalists from all over the world in the country. But never they will touch the reality of what's happening. They'll give you their version, their interpretation, and they'll give it to you in a way, in degrees, that will make you feel, these Haitians are a bunch of fools. These people always have a problem. And that's the same way they give us information about you. That's true, most Haitians don't like black Americans. That's a fact. I'm not gonna lie about it. We don't like you because the only information we have about you is what your enemy and ours tell us about you. And you don't like Haitians either. Because you have the same information from the same source about us. When was the last time the New York Times told you anything about Toussaint Louverture? When, when did the New York Times talk about Jean-Jacques Dessalines? When did you ever hear about what is the mission of this country? They even have us clap to be occupied in 1994. Yes, I stood up against the coup in Haiti. Yes, I stood up for the return of the will of the people in Haiti. Because at the time, 
Yes, I received one by 70% of the votes. He is the choice of the people, so he should go back. But when I'm told, okay, he's going back with military occupation, I said, no, this price not for me. Most of my comrades were against me, but that's not their fault. Lack of vision, lack of knowledge of our street, lack of understanding. What does military occupation mean in any country? I don't care where. Military occupation means prostitution will rise up out of the street into the best families, number one. Because general so-and-so and colonel so-and-so from the US Army is not gonna go in the street and pay $2, no. And he's got to have a prostitute. He's gonna go in your home, my home, take my sister. Number two, the cost of living must rise at least 15%. That's a fact, whether you want it or not. Any place where there have been occupation, those are the two first results of any occupation. So before, five goods for one dollar. Today, 17, 18, 19, 20 goods for one dollar. You know how many people cannot eat in this country? 70% of the population is not working. The World Bank says, oh, to make things better, we have a good plan for you. Things are gonna get real good, real fast. First, the public workers must be reduced by half. A study proved that every working action feeds at least seven people. And we only 30% of the population, the working population is working. Now when you're gonna reduce it to 15% of the population, how many people are we each going to feed? And then what happens to the ones who don't have somebody working to feed them? In 1946, IT imported nothing of what it needed to survive on a day-to-day -day basis. In 1960, IIT did not import its food. Since 1970, there is uh, progress, I think they call it. We start importing things. And today, 1997, IIT imports even lemon, even plantain, even corn. And don't forget, we are buying it with 20 goods for one dollar. But remember, IT is nothing but an example. It's nothing. Whatever we say about IT, we could say it about Zaire, we could say it about Nigeria, we could say it about Togo, we could say it about Ghana, we could say it about Guinea, we could say it all over wherever our people are. And that's why we must make it our business. If we say we're serious about growing, if we say we're serious about going to war, you have to know what's happening in every part of your world. Don't sit here, I'm a black American, I'm living in Newark, New Jersey. Well, New York, I have no problem in Newark, New Jersey, we're okay. We have a nice mayor. No, we've got to become involved. Because whatever they're doing to us in Haiti, whatever they did in Zaire, in Lomé, in Ghana, it's coming to you, brother. It's coming your way if it's not already there. 
Whatever they do to you, they're coming with us, to us with it. Whatever they do to us, they're coming to you with it. In 1960, Haitians did not know what drug was. 1970, if you say marijuana to somebody in Haiti, what you talking about? Cocaine? Today we have a large drug population since the occupation. Another wonderful thing that the United States of America does, it's cleaning out its jail populations, we're told. So for the past three years, every American Airlines that land in Port-au-Prince has four or five handcuffed men in the back. These are supposedly Haitians. Nobody checked their papers, nobody really knows. But what is certain, they are hardcore criminals. The U.S. has a program. If you've been in jail 10 years, or you've gone to jail so many times, the next time they arrest you for hardcore crimes, instead of giving you life imprisonment, they can take you back to your country, supposedly. And this without saying anything to the government. You get to the airport, they take off the handcuffs, and you're in the streets. The American Airlines land every day in Haiti at least three times a day. And every day it brings a load. And then they say, oh, there is insecurity in the country. We wonder how come. Until 1985, I lived home in a house where I did not have the key to the front door. Even when I went on vacation, I didn't lock the door. I just pulled it. Today, I wouldn't dare. But to solve all of this, first element, we must know what's happening. Because if you don't know, you cannot resolve a problem that you have not identified. Number two, you must get yourself together. Don't look at Zaid and say, well, here's what's wrong with Zaid. Forget it. Baina has to look at Baina. Look at what's wrong with Baina and decide how to cure and clean Baina. Zaid has to take a good look at Zaid, clean up Zaid, and cure Zaid. And when Baina is clean, Zaid is clean, Baina and Zaid can have a program together. You are now listening to DTA Radio, where living archives meet airwaves.